Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome back to my podcast series on miracles. In my last podcast, we reflected on what the famous author C.S. Lewis said about miracles. Quote, seeing is not believing. If anything extraordinary seems to have happened, we can always say that we have been victims of an illusion. If we hold a philosophy which excludes the supernatural, this is what we'll always say, unquote. Well, that's true, isn't it? Because, again, according to Webster, a miracle is a, quote, surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by nature or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency, unquote. Ah, yes, a divine agency. That's a very secular way to refer to God, isn't it? We discuss the fact that God does not use miracles merely as a means of authenticating himself to people, although he does do this, but also God uses miracles to reveal himself to people who have eyes of faith to see. During our last podcast, we took a look at some of the miracles performed by God in the Old and New Testament that pertain to his ability to control nature and his miracles of provision. Sometimes the miracles were performed by God to show non-believers, like the pagan Egyptians or King Darius, that God is God. But other times we saw that God's miracles were to affirm to his people that he cares for them and will provide for them in big and little ways, like sending manna down from heaven and changing water into wine. God also showed his believers that he can control nature, like calming the seas and walking on water or creating a virgin birth. The God of miracles uses signs to convey a message or reveal a truth, but God will not be mocked. God is not a circus sideshow, and his miracles always have a purpose. The Bible gives us examples of people who sought signs to prove that God is God, often wanting to be entertained, like King Herod in Luke chapter 23, verse 8. Now, this is not Herod the Great of Jesus's young childhood. This is his son, Herod Antipas. Luke tells us that when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. But God never uses miracles to amuse us. They aren't parlor tricks. They always serve a purpose. What is their purpose? To glorify God. In the New Testament, we have this story of Jesus right after his baptism. He's tempted in the desert for 40 days by the devil. And the story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And we're going to look at Luke's story in chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. The devil wants Jesus to show him signs and perform miracles to prove that he is God. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him for another opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Unquote. Now, as the Son of God, Jesus had special powers for his messianic message. And these powers to perform the signs and miracles were not for his own gratification. The first temptation by the devil was to tempt Jesus to use his miraculous powers for his own purposes. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus' response was, he lives for the Father and places his trust in him. But you know, trust in God can be misused because the devil takes Jesus to the highest point on the temple. And here the devil is trying to abuse Jesus's trust in God. He's trying to manipulate God for his own purposes. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. I'm sure God will rescue you. It's an attempt to blackmail God. He wanted Jesus to say, all right, God, I trust you. Save me if I jump. But Jesus reminds Satan, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, if you're honest, you might actually see yourself in this story. We've all been tempted to ask God to do something to prove his existence or his love for us. God, if you're real, give me a sign. Jesus told a story through a parable that people who don't believe what is written in the Bible, well, they won't believe even if someone were to come back from the dead and warn them. Jesus tells us that God wants us to live by faith, not by sight, and definitely not by magic. Now, in this podcast, I want to take a look at some of the miracles of healing the sick that are both in the Old and the New Testament. As we look at these stories, I want you to ask yourself, 
if you were there witnessing it, would you believe? You know, what a strange time we live in, right? All of us would love to live in a world without sickness or disease. This COVID virus, at a minimum, is inconvenient, humbling, and unsettling. And let's be honest, it can be downright terrifying when it strikes close to home. But did you know that it wasn't always this way? I don't mean the COVID virus, but I mean just sickness in general. Before the rebellion of man, before we believed the lie that we could be like God and decide for ourselves what was good and bad, before that, there was no sickness, no pain, and no death. Wow, that's so hard for us to imagine, isn't it? But we truly long for the days when our Health is no longer a concern or something to be maintained or protected, but the reality is that we live in a rebellious world, and the reality of human frailty is too present for us to ignore. In fact, ignorance will only harm us further. Our deepest hope is that this world will not always be this way, and that God's power is greater than any bacteria, cancer, or virus. Well, here's the good news. It is. God can give us a miracle at any time, and sometimes he does. But sometimes he allows trials and tribulations. But the Bible promises us that when he does allow these things, he uses all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We have a story of healing in the Old Testament, and it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a story of a guy named Naaman. He's the commander of the Syrian army, and he's suffering from leprosy. Now, leprosy is a disease that causes nerve damage and muscle weakness, and it's terrible because it can lead to deformities and crippling and blindness and, sadly, isolation because it's contagious. And you may not know this, but leprosy still exists in the world. In fact, according to the Leprosy Mission website, every two minutes, someone is diagnosed with leprosy because it still occurs in more than a hundred countries. Now, in this Bible story, this commander of the Syrian army, a man named Naaman, has a very bad case of leprosy. And you can see how someone in his position, this would be a really bad thing. So, his servant girl heard of the prophet Elisha. Now, this is not Elijah, this is Elisha. And so, she suggests to Naaman that he seek out healing from this man of God. And Naaman's desperate, so he makes the trip. But when Elisha sent a messenger to Naaman with the instructions on how to be healed, well, the Bible tells us that his pride almost prevents his ability to receive healing from God. Why? Well, he expected royal treatment. 
Instead, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Now go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, quote, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Ha! The measly Jordan River wasn't good enough for this guy. The Bible says, as he went away in anger, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. This is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Oh, this is such a good miracle story because I think it speaks volumes. Obedience to God begins with humility. We may not always understand the way that God works. Remember, God's ways are not man's ways. God can use anything, even the Jordan River, to accomplish his tasks. You know, it's a frightening thought to think about how many times our own plans and expectations might get in the way of our seeing God move in miraculous ways. When we raise ourselves up too high, we sometimes ignore the instructions or warnings of those that God has sent to help us. When we're pleading to God for answers, we need to take care not to be blinded by our own preconceived notions of what should happen or who he should send. But instead, with humble hearts, we should patiently wait for the instruction of our Lord. Naaman, well, he was a war hero, and therefore he expected a heroic healing. He had a difficult time accepting just a simple cure of faith, didn't he? What about you? Do you have difficulty with the simple act of faith? It seems like a lot of people do, which is why Jesus gave us the good news that all we need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. Whew. Now, one of my favorite healing of the sick miracle stories is found in the New Testament, and this is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, 
I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unquote. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Now, <laughs> this story is so vastly different in attitude that from the Old Testament story we just read about Naaman, isn't it? Here we have a centurion who is a career officer in the Roman army, controls a hundred soldiers. That's why he's called a centurion. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He represents a group of people who are hated by the Jews because of his position of power. And yet, did you notice how he approaches Jesus with great humility and faith? He puts to shame the faith of the Jewish religious leaders, doesn't he? Because he placed no limits on Jesus. He did not expect Jesus to only act in a certain way. This Roman soldier could have let pride, doubt, the language barrier, power, race, all stand in the way of asking for help from Jesus. But he didn't. It really makes you think. What keeps you from Jesus. I'm going to end today's podcast on miracles with <laughs> some bizarre miracles that I think shows just how involved God is in our everyday lives. First is the story of the floating axe. That's right, an axe, A-X-E. This story is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We're talking about Elisha again. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. The man reached out his hand and took it, unquote. <laughs> okay, here was a miracle because we know that iron doesn't usually float. But in this story, no mountains were moved. No one was cured of a deadly disease. No manna fell from heaven. No, this was about the recovery of an axe head. Why is this story even in the Bible? Well, because the Bible is one continuous story of God's immeasurable love for us. How better to demonstrate God's love for us than in a simple, mundane, everyday event? 
God shows he cares and will provide for those who trust him, even in the insignificant events of our everyday lives. Okay, here's another miracle story that's pretty unusual. It's about bears. This story is also found in 2 Kings. So that's your Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, let me give you a little backstory. Elisha was a student of Elijah, you know, Elijah the great prophet. Now, when Elijah was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, which, oh, by the way, was another amazing miracle, Elisha became his successor. And the center for pagan worship in the northern kingdom was this place called Bethel. The people of this area were really vocal about uh, being against God's prophets. So here we have this short little story about a group of probably teenagers. It describes them as youths from this area of Bethel, and they're jeering at Elisha who is this appointed man of God. We need to know that back then, just like today, taking a stand for God was not always popular and sometimes made them vulnerable to verbal abuse, cynicism, sarcasm. Today you can add hate mail, mean tweets, Facebook shaming, etc. So here's what happens. From there... Elisha went up to Bethel. As he's walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria, unquote. <laughs> Whoa. All right, it seems that there's probably more to the story. Uh, these youths were not just teasing a bald-headed man, which, of course, is never a good idea anyway. They were showing severe disrespect to a man of God. They were disrespecting the message that Elisha was bringing to the people he stood in the way of their desire to live the way they wanted to. And so God sent bears to attack them as a judgment on their callous unbelief. All right, you don't know how happy I am because I've always wanted to use that Bible story in a lesson. I know it's obscure, but it's powerful. Once again, God demonstrates his power and might and performed a pretty cool miracle. The Bible tells us, quote, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's John 14, verses 12 through 14. So, the Bible says miracles are supposed to be ordinary for those of us that know Jesus. Then, 
Why are we still so shocked by miracles? How often do we actually pray expectantly for miracles? Not because we doubt, but because we believe. God wants us to ask him for miracles. He wants us to bring him our problems, our concerns, our cares. He wants us to bring him our difficulties, our improbabilities, and our impossibilities. Paul reminds us in the New Testament, in his letter to the Ephesians, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. I'm going to end with this quote from the website Ordinary Miracles. Quote, My prayer for you this week is that the God of extraordinary miracles would give you a gift of faith so that you might dare to ask him to do what only he can do, unquote. Have a blessed day and be a blessing to others by daring to ask God for a miracle.